You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. if we hadn't met, and uh, Ben's going to be preaching on the resurrection account in John's gospel. That'd be John 20, verses 1 through 18. And I'll give you a chance to find that in your Bible or phone or wherever. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth laying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, good evening. My name is Ben Milner, one of the pastors here, and uh, we're glad you're here worshiping with us. Uh, we are going through this uh, wonderful book, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I highly recommend. And um, this is our second to last week. The book is basically a story of many of the narratives from the scriptures and how they all point to Jesus. Tagline is every story whispers his name. And we're coming to the end of this story, uh, this great story. Um, And even the Old Testament passages, um, some of the most obscure ones, we've seen how they actually are talking about Jesus. The Bible is one book with one plot and one main character who is Christ. And today we come to um, kind of the turning point and the big plot. This, uh, this is called God's Wonderful Surprise. 
And um, the picture that uh, really, I think, captures the best is this one um, with this giant angel, two-page two picture of a huge angel and these people standing before the angel and the angel announcing the resurrection. So this is a story of the resurrection, and that's the wonderful surprise. Um, last week, we saw the crucifixion, and... Um, this has been described uh, by J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings as a U-catastrophe, because it's in the shape of a U. And um, all the momentum and the energy of the downward uh, turn of the bottom of the U, the catastrophe, is then that energy sends it back up the other side of the U, and all the tragedy becomes a comedy. And at the middle of the turning point, that's where we are right now, uh, we are lifted up into glory from this point on. And... Um, it is a rescue plan. The secret rescue plan is the, the main uh, tagline that she uses over and over again in the book. That uh, the whole Bible is a story of a secret rescue plan. And a rescue, by definition, cannot end in tragedy, but must uh, become comedy. And um, I like this dialogue where the leaders, the, the leaders who have put Jesus to death, they say, um, that's the end of Jesus. Like, we've finally gotten rid of this pest. And then the disciples say, how could he die? What had gone wrong? And then the angels say, what are you doing here? This is a tomb. And tombs are for dead people. So this is a story of a body that was uh, ravaged by the Roman Empire. The body of this carpenter from Nazareth. And it's, it's in this tomb. It's laid in this tomb. That's the height of the tragedy. That when this, the greatest man who ever lived came to our planet, the wisest, the kindest, the holiest man who ever lived, that uh, the, the world's reaction to that man was to crucify him, torture him, lay him in a tomb. But this is the story of how that body that is ravaged by the empire actually raises up uh, and becomes the king of kings. And we believe as Christians that he actually is in charge of the universe to this day. That this man with scars on his hands and uh, a, a Spear pierced through his side. Uh, he still has the marks, still has the scars, that he is right now at the right hand of the Father reigning. So it's a story about um, the, the, the new um, creation breaking into the old creation. It's not just a story of, of a man coming back to life. That's kind of, that's, that's a misconception about the resurrection. It's not the story of a man coming back to life. It's the story of a whole new reality uh, breaking into this world. And I was watching these, uh, these videos on YouTube of uh, glacier calving, the word calving, C-A-L-V-I-N-G, like the way you birth a cow. And if you've ever seen glacier calving, it's, it's amazing. These uh, gigantic glaciers start to fall in uh, in Antarctica or Greenland. And as they start to go down, these huge uh, ice flows come up out Sometimes hundreds of feet high, just emerging from the ice. They come, like, almost like a whale that is surfacing. And um, I think of that as like, this is the new world breaking into the old world. So when Jesus rose, he was the tip of the iceberg coming up out. But we believe, uh, the amazing thing about Christianity is we believe that uh, the new creation is already here. And those who believe in Christ already experience a new creation. We call it eternal life. Uh, the Greek word is Zoe, eternal life, that we uh, who believe when you're united with Christ, you have the new creation. We're the first fruits of the new creation. 
So it's, it's more than the story of a man coming back to life. It's about resurrection. And it's even more than resurrection. It's the ascension. Probably the least appreciated uh, doctrine of Christianity is that Christ ascended to the right hand of God. And we see that in this story. So it's more than, more than just a man coming back to life and more than just a resurrection. It's actually the king of kings has ascended and is ruling the world. So those two points, uh, more than coming back to life and then even more than a resurrection. So first of all, it's more than a man coming back to life. Uh, the context is these women come to the tomb out of their minds. They are bringing um, oil uh, spices to anoint his body, but they didn't think about the fact there was a huge stone that would prevent them from getting into the tomb because they're kind of out of their minds. And so they go to the tomb uh, just absolutely destroyed by grief and trauma with these spices thinking they could do something because they want to do something, but, but they, don't, they, they don't know what to do because the stone, what, what are they going to do with this gigantic stone that's been put in front of the tomb? And so um, when Mary, one of the women, sees that the stone is actually not there, her, her immediate reaction is not resurrection because no Jewish person ever would have guessed that that would be what happened there. Her immediate reaction is these are grave robbers. And so in verse two, it says she ran to Peter and John and, they, and she says they've taken away the body of my Lord and we don't know where he is. The they being probably grave robbers. She might've thought that the Romans did it uh, just to further mutilate his body, but it's most likely that it's grave robbers because we have actually found, archeologists have found uh, curses inscribed on tombs against grave robbers because the, the person wrapped like a mummy was wrapped up in very expensive linen and 75 pounds of spices, myrrh and aloe. And so it would have been really, really valuable to steal the grave clothes. Not so much the body, uh, but the grave clothes. That's where the money lay. So it was not uncommon for someone to come in, like a bunch of guys come in, roll the stone away, go in there, get the body and take it away and then sell the linens and the spices. And so Mary is uh, racked by grief and loss. It says in verse 11, she's weeping outside the tomb. So she clearly does not think he's come back to life. Why would she be weeping? And death was bad. That was bad enough. But for the Jewish people, desecration was almost worse. In the Old Testament, it's not just about dying. It's about what happens to your body afterwards. And that's why it was so horrible when Romans would leave those bodies up on the crosses for the vultures to come and tear to shreds because that was a further humiliation of the person. Even today, um, if someone who's Jewish dies, they have to put that body in the ground very quickly. Uh, No organ donating, no cremation. It's very important how the body dies. And so these these are Hebrew people and they believe that the body is incredibly sacred and so desecration of the body, the grave, rob- the grave robbers taking the body was almost worse than the dying itself. And that's why in verse four, Peter and John are running together. And I don't think they were running out of excitement because, again, they would not have thought resurrection. That was not what was on their mind. They were thinking somebody has come and stolen his body and they need to get that body back and bury it again, put it back in the tomb. Now, the younger John, who wrote this gospel, um, he is in such a panic that he actually starts sprinting. He's probably about five to ten years younger than Peter. So Peter's probably in his 20s, John, late teens. 
And, and John is apparently faster, and so he had to put that little detail in there that he outran Peter, verse 4. But when he got to the tomb, uh, he immediately stopped moving. Uh, when he got there, it says he, he stooped and looked in, and he saw the linen cloths, but he didn't go in, because that kind of freaked him out. Why are the linen cloths in there? That's, that's what stopped him dead in his tracks. Why would the worthless body be taken... Or how could it even been taken? And the linen cloths are lying there. And by the way, they're, under, they're undisturbed. So he, he just is frozen in his tracks. Peter is so curious. He's always a little bolder than any other disciple. So Peter actually goes in. Verse 6, he, he went into the tomb and he also saw the linen cloths. And then John kind of creeps in behind Peter. And it says he saw and he believed in verse 8. Now what did he believe? Uh, What is it they're believing? Well, if there's no body and the linens are folded up nicely, then something really strange has happened. And so I don't know exactly what they believed, but they believed something weird was going on. Something supernatural was going on. It says in verse 7, the face cloth was folded up in a place by itself. That's a weird detail. It was folded up in a place by itself. Again, think about mummies. Um, the corpses were wrapped very tight. It says when Lazarus died in John eleven forty four, strips of cloth were wound around his body, his, his feet, his hands, his face. So they were like this, tied around the face, all over the body. And how could the face cloth be folded up? You know, like, in, like you would see a, uh, a shirt in Belk or Macy or Coles, just a shirt that's sitting there perfectly folded up. How could that possibly be? If they took the, uh, if the grave robbers came and took the linens away, it doesn't make any sense. This is what uh, John Stott, great commentator, John Stott says this, Jesus must have passed miraculously from death into an altogether new sphere of existence, leaving the grave clothes untouched and almost undisturbed. I just imagine the mummy, the mummified body, just the the cloths just kind of fall down and he passes right through them. He also passes through walls later on, we're to read. But I like this altogether new sphere of existence because something was, again, like the iceberg, something was breaking in from the outside. There's a great little novel written by a British mathematician. It's called Flatland. And it says it's written by a square. That's what it says. The author is a square. And um, the whole plot of Flatland is that a sphere comes into a world that is flat. And in that world that is flat, if a sphere passes through a flat plane, then that sphere is going to start to look out like a point and then a little bit larger circle and a larger circle and a little bit smaller and it'll pass right through the plane. So um, there's no way to figure out if you're on the flat land, what that sphere is. It's just like a point that goes into a larger circle and smaller circle and disappears. But that is what is going on in our, in our three-dimensional world with the resurrection. There's some fourth thing that has passed through. And that's, that's the first resurrected body in the world. So that's what's going on. That's what they're believing. I mean, they haven't gotten all the way there yet. But that's what's going on in Peter's head and in John's head. And hopefully in your head... This is kind of resonating right now that there's something really huge going on in the universe that we're all a part of. 
because Christ was raised, and that it affects our bodies. And if you are concerned about how your body is functioning, and there's probably not many of you that are not concerned about your body in some way, then this really matters. Um, I was telling someone right before service that my my foot um, has been hurt really badly lately. And, And Tuesday morning, it was... It was really devastating because I had bought new custom orthotics. I had bought new socks, new shoes, and I was going. And then I even um, had some calluses that uh, my wife, you know, scraped off. And I was thinking, okay, this was going to finally fix it. I woke up Tuesday morning hoping I could finally go out and, and go running for the first time in a long time. And it was I could barely walk. And I was really, really miserable. And my, my wife was trying to console me and she prayed for me. But I was in that place where I was just in, unwilling to be consoled. Not really just, not only inconsolable, but not really wanting to be consoled. I was just picturing a future without much walking or running. And, and it was like um, I was stuck in kind of my little two-dimensional world, so to speak, that... It's like Mary um, gets stuck in this, a narrative is stuck in her head where she keeps saying, um, twice she says, uh, they've taken away the body. She says that to Peter and John. But then when an angel comes to her, I mean, this, this mighty angel, again, the two-page uh, fold-out, she sees the angel and the, and the angel um, tells her the good news and she tells the angel again, they've taken away the body. So she's stuck and this story in her head about the body and the grave robbers. And she can't get out of that place. And it was the same way with me. I could only see this, uh, this future um, without running. And I love how the two times the angels and then Jesus say to Mary, why are you weeping? And why are you weeping? The angel and Jesus repeat this. And they're like they're attacking her doubt and her stuck brain. We get these... Our brains get frozen in despair, often by either our bodies or someone else's body, Keith's body, Keith Beatty's body. Um, But our bodies wearing away and perishing is something that can terrorize us. But the good news is that because Jesus rose, that we are like the first fruits. If you believe in Christ, if you trust him, then the Bible says we are like first fruits. In other words, when a crop comes up, the very first fruit you see is a sign of what the, the whole crop will be like. So I think about my, my yard where I've planted grass, and I'm just seeing that new green grass come up through the old brown dead grass. And when you see those first shoots of grass, you know what the rest of the fall is going to be like. And you know that by you know, Thanksgiving, you're going to have this really beautiful lawn of green grass. And when we see Jesus come up out of the grave like this, passing through the grave cloths, then we know that's, that's our future. That's Keith's future. Keith, was, uh, Keith had profound special needs, but his new body attached to this iceberg, this new creation, will, will not have those special needs. Um, he will uh, be completely changed. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1, Paul says, we will all be changed in a flash. In the twinkling of an eye, the dead will be raised imperishable, the mortal body clothed with immortality, and then it will be fulfilled. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? 
There's a song by a really old 80s Christian band called Petra. And the song's called Grave Robber. And I don't know if they're playing off that idea of grave robbers, but the song Grave Robber says, where is the victory? Where is the prize? When the grave robber comes and death finally dies. The grave robber being God the Father, who robs the grave for the Son and takes that Son up into glory. So this is not just a man coming back from the dead. Okay, that's not enough. That really wouldn't be that exciting. That would just be a historical event in the past. That would not be exciting for me today. What's exciting for me today is that there will be an army of loved ones free from their eating disorders, uh, free from depression, uh, free from alcoholism, and all the things that ravage our bodies. Um, You know, if you're tired of your deformed toe, like I am, or an anomalous artery like I have, a fourth artery that had a heart attack because I have that fourth artery, or if you're tired of having seizures, which I'm tired of having, all these things affect my body, I'm 52 now. If you're exhausted by like, just battling back unwanted sexual desires, or you hate your unathletic body, you, know, you wish you could jump higher, run faster, if you're tired of your weight or your immobility or whatever it is, Um, The good news is that uh, these bodies that are now mortal will be clothed with immortality. We will be like the body of Jesus that passed through grave cloths, that passed through walls, that ate fish, that had scars in his hands. And that's your future if you trust in Christ. So it's more than a man coming back to life. Um, It's the first blade of green grass coming up in October. And that's really good news. Um, That's my hope for the people I love who are... um, just saddled with all of these illnesses and my, and my own body, um, I know that I will run again. I will play basketball again one day in the new creation, which I trust will have basketball courts. So that's the first point. Um, the second point is that it's more than just my body being resurrected one day. It's, um, it's about Jesus being the king of kings and ascending to the right hand of God. That's the second part of the story. So John and Peter, as I said, were very confused as to what was going on. They knew that something odd had happened. They knew the body had passed through the cloths. They knew that the grave robbers hadn't taken the body because there are the linens. But they didn't know what had happened. Uh, They could not figure out what had happened. And they had seen the evidence, right? And I I would love to see that evidence. I mean, I wish I was there. I wish they had taken a video of that. I wish it had happened during the era of iPhones, and they had taken a video of that, and they could show it to us. But the problem is that seeing is not believing, because when we see things, it doesn't really help us very much. I mean, Mary saw Jesus, and that didn't help her. And they saw the evidence, and that didn't help them. So what finally, what got them over the edge? What turned this scene into deep understanding and comprehension? The answer is in verse 9, they finally understood the scripture, that he must rise. Their mind's like just flying back through processing. You know, the wheel is spinning. And they're, they're, they're thinking about the scriptures. And they start to put it together. And he had told them he was going to rise. And then they start remembering the story. Uh, it's not sight that produces faith. It is remembering the story. Remembering what the Bible says about reality. And that's why you've got to read the Bible. If you don't know the Bible well, if you don't know these stories well, I mean, it's not like you have to memorize everything. Um, you don't have to know it that well, but if this book is the best way to do it, actually, is just to know these stories, these crucial stories, 
And this will tell you the whole story, what the whole Bible is about. And if these guys had not known the story, they would not have understood that he must rise because that was the story. The story was always that at the end, the king of kings would rise and would rule the world, that there was a Messiah coming. That was the story. So let me give you three quick verses from the Psalms. Um, You will not abandon your holy king to death or corruption. Psalm 1610. Psalm 49.15, you will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. That's the Messiah speaking to God. You will ransom my soul like a grave robber. You will steal my soul from the power of the grave. That's what Sheol is. And then Psalm 71.20, from the depths of the earth, you will bring me up, the Messiah says to God. So that was always the way it was supposed to end, with a king who at the end of time would break into the world and begin the last days, which we're in right now. The last 2,000 years, we're in the last times, the end times, the last days when the, the, the sphere is passing through our flat land and the king is rising. And then that king who rose was going to raise up all his people with him. So in Daniel 12, too, those who sleep in the dust of death shall awake. Isaiah 60. 2619, your dead shall live and their bodies shall rise. The resurrection was all predicted in the Old Testament. It was all part of the story. They, were, they should have been waiting for this. And I think John is taking us back even further than the Psalms, further back than David and the Messiah. He takes us all the way back to the very beginning, to the Garden of Eden. To the Garden of Eden, which is at the very beginning, of course, of the Jesus Storybook Bible, um, where you have this Paradise and Adam and Eve uh, with each other in perfect harmony and love, walking in the cool of the day with God. That's where the story actually takes us. I think it's just absolutely brilliant the way that John um, takes us back into the very beginning of the story. Look at verse 15. It says that Mary thought that he was the gardener. Now, why is that significant? Well, I keep saying it throughout the sermon series that Adam was a gardener, that God made him to tend the garden, to have dominion over the world. Adam was made to take the raw materials of the world and to bring fruitfulness out of them, to bring order out of chaos and to create a garden. And in the end of time, we see that when the holy city of Jerusalem comes down, it's a garden city. So the garden is a huge part of the story. And Mary thought that this was a gardener, which implies what? They're in a garden. She wouldn't have thought he was a gardener if they weren't in a garden. So we're back to another garden. And I love how um, Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it in the story. I mean, she picks this up beautifully. Uh, She says, the early morning sun slanted through ancient olive trees and drops of dew glittered on leaves and grass like little tears everywhere. So she's very aware of the connections that John is making. We're back in the garden. And Jesus is the new Adam. He's the second Adam. He's the new human being, the first fruits of the new creation. And he is inaugurating a new reign. It's the end of an old era, and it's the beginning of a new era. And so Romans 5, 17 says, just as by Adam's trespass, death reigned through Adam, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the new Adam, through Jesus? So Adam inaugurated the reign of death, 
And then Jesus inaugurates the reign of eternal life. So this is the new Adam in a new garden. It's not just a resurrection. It's a regime change. We're in a new regime. And you see that in verse 17. I have not yet ascended, but tell our brothers that I am ascending. So we see the ascension here. uh, That Jesus actually is at the right hand of God. And he is ruling the universe. The ascension is so glorious that he has to tell Mary, don't cling to me, which I've always thought was kind of a cruel detail. But in verse 17, obviously, she just grabs a hold of him, which is beautiful. That as soon as uh, he says her name, she just clings to him, just cannot let go of him. And it sounds harsh when he says, do not cling to me in verse 17. But what he's actually saying is, you're clinging to the old reality. And uh, you just want more of the same. You know, you want me back as a, as a human being to live with you. And like, let's get the band back together. Let's have the disciples again. But you're stuck in the past. You're still trapped in that story. And you're desperate that that story not end. Your normal reality. You just want your normal reality with a cherry on top. And a lot of us do. That what we want from Jesus is our old world with a cherry on top. Just like a little bit better. We want what we had in the past, but a little bit better. And that's what nostalgia says. I want the good old days when life was simple. When I didn't have a hurt foot. When I hadn't had a heart attack. When I didn't have seizures. I kind of want that old day when my family was intact and my body worked and I felt attractive and all that. I want the old days. And the king says, we're going a lot higher than that. That you do not want to go back to the past. Don't cling to me. I'm about to ascend. Like we're going way up, up and up and up. And I'm going to adopt you. And so he says to Mary, my father and your father. Your, my, my dad, my dad in heaven is also now your dad in heaven. I've adopted you. And if you notice, she did not wake up when she saw him, but when he spoke to her. That's when he says, Mary. Uh, it's when Jesus said to me, Ben. At some point in my life, he just said my name. And then I just melted. It's like um, in Narnia, if you've, read, if you've seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when Aslan, the king of Narnia, he breathes his breath on the statues that the White Witch have frozen into stone. And Aslan walks into the White Witch's castle and he breathes his breath on them and they turn to life again. And that's what's happening. These stone people are coming back to life here. And it says that the sheep will hear my voice. The sheep will hear the shepherd's voice and she knows his voice. And so it's not when she sees him But it's when he says, Mary, that she becomes the new Eve for the new Adam. And I love the picture because you see it's like Adam and Eve all over again. She is like the very first person that ever knew the gospel. And this is a woman who had seven devils in her. She was a woman who was not allowed to testify in court because she was a woman. She was also a woman whose body was ravaged by the empire, by men who paid money Uh, to take her body. And God says, I want that person to be the first preacher of the gospel. I want to take Mary Magdalene and I will make her the first person to reclaim dominion. You know, it's like she goes from a pawn to a queen. And that is now the first person that is the adopted daughter of the king of kings. This is a person with dominion now who knows her name, Mary. And she gets so excited by him saying her name that she twirls around twice. And it's hard to see this in the passage, but uh, if you know the Greek, it's a little clearer. 
This is actually like the dancer in the Song of Songs. We looked at the Song of Songs in May. And there's one scene in the Song of Songs where the, the lover says to his beloved, this is Song of Songs 613, how beautiful your sandaled feet, my beloved. Turn and turn and twirl and twirl that we may see you again. Now, what does that have to do with Mary? Well, in verse 14, it says she turned around and saw Jesus. And then in verse 16, she turned again and said, Rabboni in Aramaic. Just like he called her name Mary, she calls his name in original tongue, Rabboni, my teacher. And she's twirling. And uh, commentators say that that's, that's hearkening back to the Song of Songs, which is back in the Garden of Eden, and just her joy and delight in experiencing the dominion that God has brought back into the world. And this is how I'll end. Jesus' story Bible again. Their hearts leapt, and the angel laughed with such gladness that they felt for a moment as if they had awakened from their worst nightmare. And that is what the resurrection is about. Uh, awakening from our worst Remember, we love these rascals.